Well, let me, uh, today I'm really excited about this message because I, I think this one along with others in this series called The Blessing are very practical, very helpful where you are in life. And what I mean by that is in this story we're going to look at, uh, King Saul is the king of Israel, and he gets all worked up and excited, and he sends 3,000 men to do battle against the Philistines. Now, the Philistines were the enemy of God, and they were victorious, and that victory led to overconfidence in themselves versus in the Lord. You ever done that? You kind of look at yourself like, look what I've done, and then all of a sudden you get a setback, and you go, oh, God, what can you do? Amen? All right, so let me, let me talk with a, to you a couple of uh, bullet points here just to kind of get us started. Fear is wasted energy. Think of that every time you've ever been fearful, what did it produce in your life? It wasted you emotionally, it wasted you mentally, and it pushed you further away spiritually from where you needed to be. That's why we have to exercise faith even when we don't feel like it. Did you hear that word? Feel like it. You know, sometimes you say, I don't feel like I have faith right now. You're not supposed to. Faith is not a feeling. It's a decision that you make. When you step into a volitional decision and say, I choose faith even against all the circumstances I find in my life that are working against it, I choose faith. You see, you have to understand that if you say, well, I don't feel, who cares? I mean, sometimes I wake up in the morning, I don't feel good, or I don't feel right, or I don't feel like something's good. I just say, I reject that. I am not gonna live by feeling, I'm gonna live by faith. Can you say that? I'm gonna live by faith. All right, second one. The bigger the battle, the bigger the reward. Do you realize that every battle you go into has a size and a duration. It has a victor, it has a loser. You get to decide the second half of that. Am I gonna be a victor or am I gonna be a loser in this battle? Now I'm not saying battles are easy. Battles are always hard. And by the way, when you go through a battle and you strengthen yourself, guess what? You're just stronger for the next battle that's bigger. Oh, that's good news. It's true though, isn't it? I mean, look back in your life, things that used to feel like a big battle, they feel like nothing right now compared to the battles you have today. Amen? And so what you have to do is you have to realize God is strengthening you through that smaller battle, which seems big, for a bigger battle that seems impossible. You see, you are made to do hard and difficult things in order that God can shape you and craft you after his image for an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison that you could ever imagine because God has an eternal purpose for you that is greater than what you see on planet Earth. But it relates to planet Earth because the preparation for there is here. And the better you prepare here for there, the better there you're going to enjoy there. Amen? Your future, remember this, your future is in God's hands. Whenever you say, I don't know what I'm going to do, you forgot that point. And I've said it, anybody ever said it? I don't know what I'm gonna do, right? It was like this last desperation. I've exhausted all my resources. I've talked to everybody I know who's smart, who can pray, and I'm still in the same mess I was before. I've been there. 
And sometimes God lets me sit there for a while until I remember this is not about me, it's about him. Why do we think it's about us? You know, it's kind of like the, the, uh, the pastor who went to the hospital to visit the lady who was not very well, and, and uh, he said to her, you know, we need to pray. And she said, oh, Lord, has it come to that? <laughs> have you ever noticed how sometimes the, the last thing you do is trust God? First thing you do when you have a problem, what do you do? You call your girlfriend. You, you talk to your buddy. Hey, what do you think I should do? They don't know. They're probably in a bigger mess than you are. Now you're getting, it's kind of like going to a restaurant and say, what do you like? That's the dumbest question in the world. What's good? I'm a salesman. Everything is good, right? But here you have to look, you have to personalize it. What about you? You, you see, you stand before God as a priest who can go to God directly. You don't have to go through a mediator. There is one mediator, God, and that's Jesus Christ. He is the only mediator between God and man. That means you don't have to come to me to try to figure out your problem. Now, you can if you want, but I'm not gonna be much better than the next guy. I might be able to point you in scripture, but ultimately it's God who's the solution. You see what I'm saying? And so God says, come unto me. When you're weary and heavy laden, you ever been that way? Weary and heavy laden? If you haven't, you have, you're not alive. Check your pulse. You're dead. Because <laughs> weary and heavy laden are part of the human experience. Okay? Come to me, and I want you to learn from me, because my yoke, that is that, that wooden thing that goes over the back of an ox that he can pull the, that, that plow, it fits well. When you're working, you want, it to, you want your life what you're pulling against to fit well and not cripple you in the process. And so he says, it, it fits well. He said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I want some of that, amen? I've had enough of the other stuff. I want some of that stuff. Now, here's what I want you to see today in our scripture. We're gonna look at 1 Samuel chapter 13, and I want you to see this. The enemy, the enemy fears your future. The enemy fears your future. At the same time, you're dealing with this thing like, do I have a future? Can I make it through tomorrow? What's tomorrow look like? What are the economics? What are the, what's going on in our world? Don't worry about tomorrow. Jesus said tomorrow has sufficient evil. You got enough to deal with today. Don't worry about tomorrow. You can plan for tomorrow and thereafter, but I want you to know ultimately you live one day at a time. Because I got promise, you know, I got promise right now, but I don't have a promise of tomorrow. I don't know what tomorrow looks like. It might be better. It might be worse. But if worse comes, then I'm still gonna trust God. See, that's a mindset. That's what keeps you going in the Christian life. The give up, I'm a victim, I can't succeed, it's too difficult, too hard, it doesn't work. You've heard me say this before, but I said it to this guy the other day. Um, you know, I said, Dad, I, don't, I really don't want to go do that. And he said, well, I, he said, why? And I said, well, I, I'm kind of worried what they think about me. And he looked at me and very serious. I think I'm going to get dadly wisdom. He says, they're not thinking about you at all. They're thinking about them. They got enough to worry about. Don't worry about what other people think. What do you think about you? If you can face yourself in the mirror, you can face a lot. Hello, it's true. 
All right, now look at the scripture. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses five and six. We're gonna set up this story. Now remember, they've gone down. Saul has gone down with the army. They've defeated uh, a small town of Geba, and they're all excited. They're all, you know, they're great. We got 3,000 men. We went down there. So look what the enemy does. Whenever you have a spiritual victory in your life, the enemy powers up. That's what he does. He powers up. He's gonna overwhelm you. So look what it says. The Philistines gathered together to fight Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen. Do, the, do that on odds. 3,000 versus 9,000. Three to one. And the people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. In other words, not just 3,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen, but also marching soldiers were coming against Israel because why? They were victorious. They got proud. And, and the enemy said, I'm just going to power up on you. I'm going to overwhelm you so that you just don't even feel like fighting anymore. You ever felt like that? Well, you should because sometimes it works that way. Like, I don't know what to do. God says, just hang in there. I am. I'm like the cat hanging on the wall. You know, I'm just like, how long do I hang here, God? <laughs> Amen? Amen? It's one thing I appreciate about cats. I don't like cats, but it's one thing I appreciate about cats. How many of you love cats? Raise your hand. All right, we love you anyway. Okay, now. <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> when <laughs> Now every cat lover hates me. All right. It's okay, you understand. If you have a cat, you're a tougher human being. <laughs> I grew up with a cat who hated me. I had a cat. I'm, just, I'm gonna get off subject a little bit here. I had a cat when I was growing up. I had th we had three dogs and one cat. And the cat hated me. I think maybe because I would corner the cat underneath the table to try to play with the cat. And the cat would always scratch my face. If you see all my childhood photos, I, I have scratches all over my face. My dad was in the army, and the only thing he knew how to solve a problem with a cat scratch was iodine. Do you remember what iodine? For those of you who don't know, it's like red dye. So I got red dye things all over my face. I mean, I look like I've been brutalized by, you know, something. And, and anyway, that, was, that has nothing to do with this message. But when the men of Israel, when, when men of Israel saw, don't underestimate words and what their meaning is. When they saw it, they let their five senses determine their future. You cannot let your five senses determine your future. When they saw that, that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, and the people hid in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. This is what we do when we rely on the five senses for our future. The five senses are powerful and important part of your life, but your future is not determined by what you see, by what you feel, by what you hear, etc. Your future is determined by God. The enemy hates your future. He fears your future. So what he wants to do is stop you before you get to tomorrow. And if he can stop you before tomorrow, then he knows he's broken this chain of success and life that he wants to pour into you. You know, the word destiny is an interesting word. It comes from a Latin word, and it literally means destination. What is your destiny? In other words, what is your destination in life? Well, the Bible says that it is to be with Christ. It is to be in an eternal kingdom. It is to be every need met in this present life and in the life to come. It is untold blessings. These are your destination points, right? 
Okay, but watch this. If you look at it and you think about it, it also means to make firm, to establish, or a fixed order of things. God has these things for you. He has a firm future for you. He has established you and had a fixed order of things so that you can succeed in life. The only person that short circuits that's you, me. You see, Satan has no authority over me except that which I yield to him, and I yield it to him when I go into fear. Fear is like cashing into the enemy. He goes, I'm so glad I've got you now. I've got you right where I want you. You're afraid. Have you ever been afraid? I've been afraid. Sometimes you just deny it. Not a bad strategy. There's sometimes I'm afraid on the inside, but I'm confident on the outside. Have you ever done that? Well, you better learn that technique. I told this story before, I'll tell it one more time because it's so good right here. We were uh, living in Europe, we're living in England, and we took a little trip, uh, Tammy and I and and, uh, our daughter Jen, and we were in Prague. We got into Prague about midnight, and if you've ever been to Prague, you get in the the train station, and then there's this long, dark tunnel with like one light bulb in it. I'm not exaggerating. Maybe they've improved it, but when I was there, it was one light light bulb. At least it felt like it. We're walking in this thing, and there's every degenerate known to man in this tunnel, Right? It's like they all showed up for me. We're walking along, and I hear Tammy and Jen talking and saying, I'm afraid, and me too, and Daddy, I'm afraid, and I go, no, it's no big deal. I'm scared to death. (laughs) But what do you do? I'm going to choose to move forward. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Pretty good. Thou preparest a table before me. Where? In the presence of my enemies. Bad location, God. Let's get a table in the in this surrounded by my friends. No, you know why? Because when you can sit at ease and eat your dinner in the middle of surrounding by enemies, you have become an overcomer. You're sitting there surrounded by enemies and all of a sudden it says, he anoints my head with oil, he fills my cup to overflowing. And then it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. We know what goodness and mercy is. Those are the two police dogs of heaven. Goodness, mercy. Whenever you get in a problem, God says, I got mercy and goodness ready to go. Sick them. Come on. That's a lot better than you're showing right, right now. Okay, now watch this. What you respect, you will attract. What you respect, you will attract, good or bad, it doesn't matter. If you respect negativity, you will attract negativity. If you respect fear, you will attract fear. It's just a rule in the, in the kingdom. Like attracts like. And so when you understand this principle, you say, I'm not going to respect the things that are not helpful in my life. I'm gonna respect things like faith, hope, love, joy, power in the Holy Spirit. Watch this. The clearer your goals, the greater your faith. 
When I wrote that, I thought, is that true? I had to think about it. The clearer your goals, the greater your faith. And I realized it was because I know where I'm going and then I can bring God into that situation. If I'm a wandering generality in my life, my personal life, my professional life or whatever, how do I bring God into that? God bless me. What kind of blessing do you want? No, God, I need you to bless me in this way on this situation this, for this day. Now God can say, okay, I can answer that prayer. Because you realize the Bible is an answer book. It's a promise book, but it's got a lot of different kind of promises. Like one of the promises is pregnancy. I don't want that promise. <laughs> you, see, you see what I'm saying? You've got you've to have some definition to your life. Your decisions decide your wealth. I'm going to show you that in the scripture. This is really wild. The decisions you make determine your wealth. The job you take determines your wealth. The way you manage your money determines your wealth. How you prioritize your money determines your wealth. You say, I don't think God cares if we're wealthy. No, he doesn't, but you do. See, he loves everybody. He loves the impoverished that has nothing. He loves the rich. He loves them all. But you have to look at your life and say, what is it going to take for me to live where I believe God wants me to live? Your standard is what you have to achieve to, not somebody else's. It's not about comparison. I've known people that are wealthy that are happy, people that are wealthy that are sad. That's not it. Zip code does not determine your happiness. Now watch this. John 10.10, very familiar scripture to many. The thief does not come to steal... This is the Greek word klepto, where we get our word kleptomaniac. You know what the the enemy is, Satan? He is a pickpocket. You ever had your pocket picked or heard about somebody who did? I remember one time we were in a mall in in New Jersey. We used to live there, and and we were going through it, and and my wife is a hoarder of money. That's the only thing that's going to be good about digital currency is she can't hoard money anymore. All right, but she's a hoarder of money. So we're walking through the mall, and I said, uh, and I go up to get this uh, Coke, just a fountain drink in the mall, and, I, and they said, well, we only take cash. We don't take credit card. And I said, okay, and I didn't have any cash. So I go to Tammy. I said, Tammy, could I, do you have any cash? Because uh, they won't take, and she said, no, I don't have any cash. <laughs> liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> so I go without the Coke. Not a big deal. I can survive. It's not like the end of the world. And so we're shopping around, and then Tammy goes to buy something, and she reaches in her purse, and her wallet is gone. So she's been pickpocketed. Oh, no, what do we do? Let's go find the mall police. What do we do? We go report it. And the police looks at her and said, uh, what was stolen? A wallet. What was in it? Uh, credit cards, license, so forth. Any cash? Ah, moment of truth is coming. <laughs> this is God's intervention. She looks at me, she looks at him, she pauses, and he said, what was in it? Did, did you have any cash? Uh, yeah. How much? Uh, about $300. <laughs> I'm not getting a $5 drink. She got $300. <laughs> it serves you right. You got pickpocketed. <laughs> Cop leaves. I look at her. I go, no, you didn't have any cash. This is, this is what men have to deal with right here. I'm getting ready to show you right now. 
I don't consider that cash. That's put away for a rainy day. I said, it was raining in my life. I needed a Coke. So she's got two compartments, money that is there to be used, money that no one can touch even in a, in a crisis emergency like a Coke. <laughs> the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Remember, this is the, this is the enemy strategy for you. He wants to steal from you. He wants to kill you. Kill what? Kill dreams? Kill joy? See, you, you can, sometimes it's easier to die than it is to live. Right? Ah, I'm just tired of living. God says, no, I didn't design you for that. I have a purpose for you. I have a meaning for you. I have a future for you. This is not, this is not goal, God's goal for your life. But because your dreams get killed, because your hope is gone, and the enemy says, I'm going to kill that in you or to destroy. I'm going to destroy everything you've built, and then you're going to have to try to start over. I'm just reading this story, and I think I've got the age about right, but Kentucky Fried Chicken, old Colonel Sanders, you know, he was rejected, told no by everything. He, he actually started that thing when he was like 65. How'd you like to start selling chicken out of the back of your car at 65? That's what he did. He had the special recipe go around, hey, try the chicken. They go, this chicken's pretty good. 65. I'm getting too old. For what? You can sell chicken out of the back of your car. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> All right, let me, give you, let me give you the counter to what happens here. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. This is in the, uh, this is in the um, Amplified Translation, so look at it. And God is able. Who's able? God. Doesn't say you're able. Let me read it that way. I am able to make all grace abound to me. So that in everything I do, in every circumstance, I might be self-sufficient. You see how it doesn't read right? Watch this. And God is able to make all grace, that is every favor and earthly blessing, come to you, how? In abundance. But God does it, not you, so that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be self-sufficient, that is processing, possessing enough to require no aid or support and furnish in abundance for every good work and every charitable donation. I like to take those and say, that's a promise. And I'm gonna lean into it. When I pray, I always go, God, you, this is what you said. You made me this promise. I'm reading it back to you, not because you don't remember, because I need to remind you for me. I need to remember this is not about me. It's about your promises. Now watch the strategy of the enemy. This is pretty amazing. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13, uh, verse 19. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. That's a pretty uninteresting verse. What did the blacksmith do? The blacksmith made weapons, made tools, sharpened tools, sharpened weapons. If you eliminate the blacksmith, you eliminate all the ways that you can survive agriculturally and militarily. For the Philistines said... Lest the Hebrews make swords or spears, but all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattocks, his axe, and his sickle, and the charge for the sharpening was a pim. That's a shekel in, in Old Testament times. For the plowshares and the mattocks and the forks and the axes, and to set the points of the goads. 
So it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but they were found with Saul and Jonathan and his son. Now, now keep this in mind. Let me show you how bad it was. There were only two swords in the entire land of Israel. I just read that uh, Americans are buying a million guns a year over the last four years. There's no shortage of guns. Okay? But in the land of Israel, there's a shortage of swords. Do you remember David and Goliath? Remember this story? So David goes out, and there's this giant of a guy. You know, he's like 10 foot tall, Goliath. He comes out, and, and he, he, he harasses and torments. The, he said, send me a man, it'll be enough. He said, you come, with, you come out against me, you know, with sticks and stones. It's kind of an odd comment until you understand the previous two chapters where it says there was not a sword in the hand of the Israelites except in the hand of Jonathan and in the hand of Saul. Two swords. Now, they're in battle. Philistines are over there. There's thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of them. And here's Israel. And we're fast-forwarding in this story, just a few chapters. And all of a sudden, Goliath comes out every day, and he taunts them. Are you going to battle me? Are you going to battle me? Send me a man. Send me a man. Send me somebody who can do battle with me, the great Goliath. And every time he'd come out, Israel, it says, would run back and hide. And then David shows up, this little shepherd boy. He's just bringing supplies from the back lines to the guys who won't fight. And he hears this, and he goes, who is this Philistine dog that taunts the armies of the Most High God? They turn around and go, who's this dude? Why, God has delivered me from the mouth of the lion, the paw of the bear. Surely this Philistine dog is no challenge for the, for the most high God. Saul goes, I believe we got somebody who's a, who's a volunteer. Bring him over. He put his armor on him, right? And here's little David in the armor of Saul with the sword. And he said, I can't fight in this. I, I, it's not proven. It's not tested. He said, all I need is five stones. He's got a sling, had five stones because Goliath had four brothers. You know what, brothers, when you beat up one brother, you gotta face the other four. So he's got the five stones, he's there, and here comes little David out, and he starts laughing at him. He said, why are you sending me a dog to do battle? And old David looks at him, he says, you know, this day I'm gonna cut off your head with your own sword. He laughs at him, David takes the sling, hits, takes the sling, Hits the guy right in the forehead, says, this guy's too big to miss. He drops down. The stone didn't kill him. David runs over, gets the sword of Goliath, cuts his head off, and then marches in town carrying the head. You think this guy was feared? He didn't need a sword. He only needed a stone. But he got a sword because he used a stone first. Use what you have, what's in your hand, that works for you in battle. Because God can take anything, anything insignificant in your life and magnify it and use it as a weapon of defense. Right? So, so we see here the enemy, what does he want to do? He wants to impoverish you. Okay? He can impoverish you 
by giving you wrong strategies. You know a wrong strategy in the Christian life? I don't have enough money, so I'm not gonna honor God with my tithe and my offering. And then you're impoverished and you think, I can't even, I don't know how I'm ever gonna tithe, I can't ever tithe again because, I, because what happens, you broke the supernatural cycle that God put into the kingdom. He can impoverish you by getting you to think wrongly about your future. He also wants to make you vulnerable. You know, when the gate of a city is open, the city is vulnerable, even if it's only one gate. What in your life is open that makes you vulnerable to the enemy? Is it what you do? Is it what you think? Is it how you act? Is it what you speak? What is the open gate in your life? Just identify it and close the gate. This is not rocket science here. You're doing something dumb, stop it. This is what guys are really good at. You say, why'd you do that? I don't know. He ain't lying. He's not lying to you. He's tr- Listen, he doesn't know why he did it. He's just a guy. I'll look at a guy, why'd you do it? I don't know. What well, was dumb? I know. And then he got, but my buddy did the same thing. Well, he's dumb too. We got to fix that problem, amen? He also wants to create dependency. I am dependent on fear. I am dependent on something. No, break that cycle. So here's what I want you to say. I want you to say this with me. Reverse the curse. All right, we're going to do it again. Reverse the curse. All right, so the enemy wants to put a curse on you. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to feed faith and starve doubt. Feed faith, starve doubt. Feed faith, starve doubt. When doubt gets hungry, refuse to feed doubt. I don't know what I'm going to do. Don't feed that. You just repeat it with this, with this thing. I can't wait to see what you're going to do, God. I don't know what you're going to do, God, but you got yourself in a big mess with this human being. Now it's time you get him out. So I'm going to feed faith, and I'm going to refuse doubt. Next thing you're going to do is you're going to reinvent yourself or what you do. I think you should reinvent yourself every nine months. So what you do is you say, okay, I'm going to set my calendar every nine months. I'm going to reevaluate what I'm doing in my life, the strategies of life, and see if there's anything I need to change or should change in order to go to the next level. If you don't practice reinvention on an ongoing basis, you're going to be stale and you're going to be bored with yourself. So what do I do? You might say, hey, in in nine months, what I'm going to do, I'm going to take an online course. I'm going to learn a bit more. You see what I'm saying? Uh, in nine months, I'm going to take and say, you know what? I need to, I need to make a, a different move in my career. I need to do this or that. You just have to reinvent yourself. You have to think about it anyway. Now, you may need to get nine months down the road, and you go, you know what? I'm on track. That's fine. Go through the next cycle. And always trying to figure out, how do I reinvent myself? I think this is a key to success. I think you have to do it. And then also, next thing, expect new opportunities to come your way. You see, live with expectancy. We have out in the lobby there a sign, expect a miracle. We built that because that was what this church was based on. I may not have a miracle right now, but I expect one. You're God of miracles, God. We expect a miracle. If you say that every morning, God, I expect a miracle. That's just, just get it in your hand. Even if you say, I don't feel like, I don't care what you feel like. 
My roommate in college felt like he was going to marry like 10 different women. He even said the Lord told him to. I said, what? I thought the Lord told you. Yeah, the Lord changed his mind. <laughs> All right. So what you want to do is you want to expect a new opportunity every day. Now watch the weapons of the kingdom. Now this is where it really is going to get. This is where it's going to get fun. Are you ready? Ready for a little fun. Isaiah 54, 16, 7. Behold, I have created the blacksmith who blows the coals in the fire, who brings forth an instrument for his work, and I have created the spoiler to destroy. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. You see, all the weapons of the Philistines didn't prosper. Watch this. No weapon formed against you prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. You see, your heritage is to win in battle with God's power. That's your heritage. This is what God gives you. 1 Samuel 14, 20. Now, remember the story? Well, okay, we've got all these chariots. We've got all these armed men. We've got all these people on horses from the Philistines. They've surrounded them. And what does God do? God's gonna show them something that it's by him and not by them. 1 Samuel 14, 20. Every Philistine sword was, uh, was uh, against his fellow and there was great confusion. So God brings confusion to the enemy they take the swords they're going to use against Israel and they use it against themselves and they wipe themselves out. You see, you just have to let God wipe out your enemies for you instead of getting angry, vengeful, or anything else. Just let God do this. God, would you just confuse the enemy for me? That's all you need to do. Okay, how about this? Psalm 91, verse 7. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. These are promises, guys. This is how you succeed, whether it's in your personal life, whether you're in school, whether you're you know, on the job, wherever. These are just principles of living successful lives that God wants you to have. Now, I want you to stand with me. I want to just, I wrote this. I just want to read it over. I want you to embrace it. If you, if you say, identify with that, you can just speak it out loud or you can just you know, mouth it with your lips. But it goes like this. It's not on the screen. I'm just going to have to say it to you. My victory is found in Christ. Every step of my life is marked by guidance and purpose. God has established me as a child of God. No weapon formed against me will prosper. As a child of the living God, I will rise to new heights by the power of his spirit. This day, this day will bring me favor and joy from the Lord. This moment, I am in the presence of the Lord. His presence rests on me and secures my future. I am bold and I am strong in the Lord. I will not waver in my faith nor will I yield ground to the enemy. If you receive it, just say, I receive it. 
God, I, you hear these voices, you hear this faith, you see this people. God, I pray that a, a hedge of protection be put around them. I pray that faith will grow. I pray that angelic beings will surround every person, including this church and their homes. And God, may we prosper in the ways of the Lord. May the king, thy kingdom come, thy will be done uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Glory be unto God. Let's sing, unto his, sing his praise and his glory right now this morning.